You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. That's the one we all want, don't we? I don't think I'm stretching the scripture to say, could I let the other side represent the other side? The other side that Paul talked about, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. And on the other side, there are no more storms. And the, on the other side, there's, there's such solid ground, you no longer need faith. And if you're really his, You're going to make it to the other side. Jesus ordered his disciples to get into the boat and head to the other side of the sea. In today's message, Pastor Danny likens this trip to the life you're currently living. You're on the sea heading towards the other side. It has its moments of calm and turbulence, excitement and dullness, laughter and fear. But through it all, Jesus is watching and guiding. When you choose Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you'll reach the other side, where there will be no more storms and you'll be on solid ground. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Mark, chapter 4, as he continues his message, Where is your faith? to get more supporting scripture there's there's plenty revelation 19 revelation 22 and both of those chapters john uh the apostle receiving the revelation of the book of the revelation and the angel that's the messenger for god communicating things and communicating with john twice because of the glorious nature of this angel twice revelation 19 revelation 22 John falls on his face to worship the angel. And what does the angel say? Get up. Don't do it. I'm a fellow servant with you. Worship God. And God says clearly, I'm the only one to be worshiped. I don't allow. You know, I got anything to do with it. Don't worship anybody else. I'm the only God. Matthew chapter 2, verse 11, the wise men that came from the great distance to To see the king that's been born, the king of the Jews. We've seen his star, the star that would come out of Jacob. They knew the prophecies of the Old Testament. And when they came to the place where the child was, here's what it says. They offered their gifts and they bowed down and worshipped him. They worshipped him. Disciple, apostle Thomas, not with the others the first time Jesus appears to them after his resurrection. And so they tell Thomas, he's alive. We saw him. Hey, I won't believe, Thomas says, unless I, unless I can put my hand in his side where they pierced him with the spear. Unless I can see the nail prints. And so not long after, Jesus appears and he says to Thomas, Thomas, have at it, dude. Want to put your hand here? Thomas, here are the nail prints. You know what Thomas did? 
he knelt before him and he said, my Lord and my God. Hebrews 1.6 from the Old Testament prophecy about the Messiah, let all God's angels worship him. And I'll give you one more. And I don't know how you can get any more clear than Romans chapter 9 and verse 5. Romans chapter 9, verse 5, Paul in the context talking about what a blessing it is if you're a Jew, if you're an Israelite, and he says, among other things, verse 5, theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of Christ, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. So... Hopefully everybody, hopefully everybody would agree, it's clear the answer, who is this? He's God in the flesh. He's the God who said, light be and light was. John tells us, without him nothing was made. Other verses echo that, confirm that. He's the creator. That's why, that's why when they wake him up from the stern of the boat, don't you care if we drown? And he gets up and he rebukes the wind and the waves. And they obeyed him. Why? Because he created them. This is God, very God, who created everything. That is the guy I want in my boat every time. I got to move on from this, but I love what Matthew Henry says in his commentary about Jesus calming the storm here. And I wish I could think like this. I wish I could write like this. Here's what he says. Listen, winds and waves synchronized in the sublime symphony of a solemn silence. Another commentator said, he calmed the storm and he stirred them up. Think about that. It's a stronger Greek word used after Jesus calmed the storm. They were terrified. But let me tell you how practical that is. Until we come to the point that we fear God more than we fear the circumstances of life, we're not ready to face any circumstance in life. But you get to the place you fear the Lord more than anything else, then you can face any storm. By faith. That's why Jesus said, don't fear him who can kill your body. And after that, there's nothing else they can do. You fear him who can cast soul and body in hell. That's whom you should fear. So here's the first point. Jesus is God. Therefore, Jesus can calm any storm in life. But that brings us to our second focus from the text. While the storm is raging, Jesus is sleeping. And you have to wonder what would have happened if they didn't wake him up. What would have happened? But because they think, they think he doesn't care. He's sleeping. They wake him up and they say, they say, don't you care? Don't you care? If you haven't been there, you haven't been a Christian very long. If you haven't been in a situation where you are, you're going, and this is not just an undesirable situation, and then maybe that fits too. I mean, there are a lot of storms, different degrees of storms, but I mean, you're in a situation, you just go, Lord, 
Do you see what I'm going through? And you think, do you care? You don't seem to be doing anything. Now, I must point out, I must point out, what we're talking about here in the message from this real life story in this text, we're not talking about storms that are created because of our stupidity. I've been in those. I've been in those. You haven't? Come on. We're talking about a storm that comes as a result of you obeying the directive that Jesus gave. What did he say? He said, when the evening came to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. And so you get into the boat because Jesus says, let's get into the boat and go on the other side. And because you got in the boat, even though Jesus is in the boat, you got in the boat. And because you got in the boat with Jesus, now you're in a storm and it's the storm of your life. Which brings me to another interesting point. I think there's evidence in the scripture that, that, that makes me believe this, this storm had hellish origins. Why wouldn't Satan with his power want to get not only at Jesus, but at disciples who are obedient and have sacrificed their lives and said, we'll follow you anywhere? You say Satan has that kind of power? Yes. To create storms? Have you forgotten the story of Job? Let me remind you the story of Job. Satan's roaming around. He's like a roaring lion. He's looking for someone to devour. The Lord says to, to, to Satan, there in the book of Job, it's recorded for us. Where have you been? I've been throughout roaming. We know what he's doing, looking for somebody to devour. Now, if you're Job and you knew this was happening, you wouldn't be happy. God says, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan says, well, of course, you put, you, but you put a hedge around him. You protected him. You let me at him. I'd love to get at him. And God says, okay, but you can't take his life. And if you read the story, here's what happened. Once God gave permission to Satan and let the hedge open to a degree, here's what it says. Fire fell from heaven. Fire fell from heaven and burned up all of Job's servants. And he was a very rich man. And he had a lot of servants. They all died in one day. All of his sheep and all of his livestock were consumed by the fire. That was Satan. You say, Satan can do that? Well, you just read Revelation for example, chapter 13, verse 13, in what's called the great tribulation, yet future, the false prophet will cause fire to come down from heaven. And that'll be a counterfeit sign, miracle, to help deceive the inhabitants of the world. It's satanic. Mysterious, yes, but satanic. And then in the story of Job, all of his children, he had 10 children. They're all in one house having a meal together. And here's what it says. A mighty wind came. And hit all four corners of the house. And the house collapsed because of the mighty wind. And all ten of Job's children died in one day by the sovereign permission of Almighty God. But by the hands of the enemy. I think there's evidence to suggest this is a hellacious storm. One thought I had, just an interesting nugget of truth. There's a line to divide between the power that Satan has and false gods have, and then the power that God has. You know where the line divides? You go back to the story of the Exodus, and when Pharaoh cast his 
staff down and became a snake. Then the magicians of Pharaoh cast their staffs down and they became snakes. When Moses held out his, uh, his staff and the Nile turned to blood, and then the magicians of Pharaoh, they also did the same thing by their magic arts. But then the dividing line was when God said to Moses, now strike the ground, and from the ground, God created gnats as one of the ten plagues in Egypt. And Pharaoh's magicians, it says, when they saw this, They said, this is the finger of God. And they couldn't reproduce it. Why? Because all Satan has the power to do is destroy. And God is the only one that can bring life from death. God is the only one that can say light be. And light wasn't, and then it was. Wonderful dividing line. I think this storm had hellish origins. Don't you care? Don't you care? Good question. Isn't it? This is not the only storm story. As a matter of fact, let me fast forward just for a minute to Mark chapter 6. And in Mark chapter 6, verse 45, different situation, but it's a storm. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. Until last service, I never really thought of that. Last service, while I'm teaching, while I'm teaching, I thought, that's interesting. Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. They were reluctant after the first experience. And this is one, he's going to get into the boat, and you read the story. It says, he made them get into the boat and go on ahead while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving, he went up on a mountainside to pray. He makes them get in. No, get in. No, no. Listen, get in. Get in. And they got in. And he leaves. And they go out. And in the middle of the night, it's dark. They're in another storm. And I'm, they're thinking, what in the world have we done? They're in a storm. Notice verse 48. He, he's up on a mountain. He's praying. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. He sees them, but please understand, they don't see him. He sees them, they don't see him. Fascinating when you read the end of verse 48. He comes to them walking on the lake at the fourth watch of the night. That's between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. He was about to pass by them. Did you hear what I just read? Another record says he would have passed by them. He would have passed by them. Hang with me. What I believe is the same storm but a different record is in Matthew chapter 14. And in Matthew's record, he tells us something else happened in that storm on that night that when they see him and they cry out, they first think he's a ghost and they think they're going to die. And then he says, don't be afraid. It's me. And Peter... Here's what Matthew records. Peter says, if it's you, Lord, bid me come to you. And I don't know if Peter was expecting what Jesus was going to say, but he said, come on. And you know the story. Peter gets out of the boat in the middle of the night in a raging storm. And for however long, he does what is humanly impossible. He gets out of the only human security you have left in the storm, that boat, and he steps out of the boat, and in the raging storm, 
And if you've ever gotten the picture of Peter walking on the water, please update it. He surfed. It's a storm. There are waves crashing. And he's walking. And as long as he kept his eyes on Jesus, he was fine. But as soon as he got his eyes off of Jesus, and you know the part of that story, he begins to sink. There's one more storm story, and John records it for us, and we don't need to turn to it. It's in John chapter 6. And in this storm story, here's what it says. Same situation, storm, they think they're going to die, they're so terrified. And then it says in that one, Jesus steps in the boat, and as soon as he steps in the boat, as soon as he steps in the boat, they're at the other side. And if you've ever been in a storm, like I have on the Gulf of Mexico, all you want to see is dry land. That's all you want, especially if you're seasick. Amazing thing. Anybody in here been seasick? And as soon as you step back on the land, you felt better. Now, it's very clear to me, and I don't know if you caught it, but in every storm story, including the one in our text of Mark chapter 4 and the ones I've highlighted for us, there's a progression. Did you not catch that? Here it is. It's Jesus in the boat with you, but he's asleep. And it doesn't appear he's concerned. But you are. And so you wake him up. Don't you care? Second one, he's not even in the boat physically. You can't see him, but he can see you. And he comes walking on the water. He's aware. He's there. And he would have passed by you. But your faith is not at the point you can handle the storm. And so when you see him, Lord. And so he deals with it at the level of your faith. And then there's the time that the storm is raging and there's darkness all around. And you hear his voice. And if you are going to survive, you got to step out of the only human security that you have left. And you got to put your life completely in his hands. And the only way that you are going to survive is by a miracle. And the last storm story, don't forget it. As soon as he steps in the boat, you're on the other side. That's the one we all want. Don't we? I don't think I'm stretching the scripture to say, could I let the other side represent the other side? The other side that Paul talked about, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. And on the other side, there are no more storms. And on the other side, there's, there's such solid ground, you no longer need faith. And if you're really his, you're going to make it to the other side. But here's the truth. He's able to calm any storm, but he wants me to learn to trust him despite the storm. And again, you see the progression. He's in the boat, but he's sleeping. He's on the mountain, but he sees you. He's walking on the water, and he says, get out of the boat. And then he steps in the boat, and you're to the other side. And that's where we all want to be, to the other side. 
But he's saying, look, there's some, there's some inevitable storms of life. Everybody's going to go through them. And there's some storms that are going to come as a direct result of you being obedient. Because you're following Jesus. In the context of his heading to the cross, he says to his disciples many things. And in the heart of the whole several chapters in John's gospel of Jesus talking personally to his disciples before the cross, he says, I've told you these things so that in me you have, may have peace. In this world you'll have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world. How? Everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. I want to go back and read something that I just think about that I skipped over in my many pages of notes. A.W. Tozer, in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, the most portentous, that's a big word, just means self-important fact about any man is not what he at any given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. Were we able to extract from any man a complete answer to the question, what comes to your mind when you think about God, we might predict with certainty the spiritual future of that man. A. Judge Tozer goes on to say, if a man has a low view of God, it's the cause of a hundred lesser evils. But a person with a high view of God is relieved of 10,000 temporal problems. What truth. And that brings us to our last point because I'm doubtful there's anybody, I'm doubtful there's anybody here that doesn't believe that Jesus can calm any storm. The question is, if the storm does not subside, will you still trust him? Does he still care? Does he still care? And here's what I say in my last point. We need faith that enables God to do miracles. Let me say on that first part of that statement, I believe if we had more faith, there are times that God would do more miraculous things. And I, I feel so many times like the guy in scripture that said to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. I mean, come on, do I get a witness there? Come on, I, I believe, help my unbelief. But I also understand while I believe God might want to do more miraculous things if we had more faith, you have to, you have to look scripturally at the other side of that faith coin. You have to, because it's in scripture. It's all throughout the scripture. If you want it in a summary form, you just go to Hebrews 11. Mentions all these saints that have gone before us. It says they escaped the fury of the flames. God shut the mouths of lions by their faith. Women received back their children from the dead. And then you get, if you read the whole chapters, it says this. Others were tortured and refused to be released. Because they'd have to deny their faith. They went around in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted. The world was not worthy of them. And then it says, these all were commended for their faith. The ones that went into the lion's den and the lion's mouth was shut. The ones that went into the fiery furnace and they came out without a smell of smoke. But also the ones who the storm in this life took their life but they never got their eyes off of the other side. And that's the key.
We're so thankful to be able to share the Word of God with you here on The Living Word. Thanks for being a part of our listening audience. If you want to hear today's message again, please visit ccfstpete.church. You can also join in our Bible reading plan. Just look under the Resources tab on our website for more information. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to take a moment to ask you to partner with us here on The Living Word. Would you join with us in praying for the listeners of this program? You might not realize how powerful prayer can be, especially during such uncertain times. There might be a listener who's really struggling, and God might stir in their heart a renewal of their faith simply by listening to this program. Please pray that each person who hears these messages would find encouragement. Just as we're reminded in Mark, God came to earth as a human, suffered in all the ways we do, and ultimately came to redeem each one of us. That's the takeaway we hope every listener gains from tuning in. Please pray for us also to seek God's will for this program and for it to continue to reach people in a powerful way. Thanks for praying with and for us. With that, we've come to the end of our time with you today. Thanks for joining us as Pastor Danny continued looking at the book of Mark. We hope that you'll tune in again right here on The Living Word.